This morning, the commandment is a tough one, but a relevant one, and something that touches all of our lives. Exodus 20:14 says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so, I don't know if I'm talking to the right church this morning, but I'm going to put both my hands up. Anybody want adultery far from you, far from your marriages, far from your families, far from your heart? The Bible is clear on it, and it gives us hope. It talks about um, the, uh, uh, our hands, the act of adultery, and it talks about Jesus doesn't in the Beatitudes, the heart that's behind adultery. And so the way that the commandments are set up as we've been looking at is the first five deal with our relationship with God. And the second five, or really the first six do, the, the last four deal with our relationship with others. And in order for us to have healthy marriages, for us to have healthy relationships, and really the adultery falls into our, uh, our relationship with others, but adultery is also dealt with in the first two commandments, which says we shall have no other gods before him, the first commandment. And the second one is that you're not to worship idols. So really this commandment deals with those two, that if you break those two, essentially there's adultery against, uh, you're having adultery against God. And so adultery is not a fun word to say. It's not a, uh, nothing pleasant comes with it. But I believe if we see why it is in the Ten Commandments, see that God gives us this gift to cause fidelity in our marriages, to see why Jesus has a lot to say about it. Because I want us to be a church that isn't afraid, as I've shared before, to look at touchy subjects, uh, isn't afraid to see what God's Word has to say, and that we would understand, just like in the, in the little video we just watched, that we are set free to live free. But the enemy knows if he can pervert marriage, if he can pervert relationships, then he can pervert the image of God because our marriages are designed to be a great witnessing tool, to be a great place of evangelization to the world around us. You look at the world today, we can clearly see that there is an absence of what the definition of marriage is. That many times it's now taken into whatever the individual wants to define marriage to be, then that's what marriage is. But as believers, as Christians that are guided by the word of God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we know what marriage is defined as. We know what gender is defined as. We know that all the cultural hot topics that we see and that we hear that the word of God is so relevant and can bring hope and can bring healing and can bring understanding. And so I just want us to get a healthy perspective of what adultery is and that whether it be you're in here this morning and you've experienced infidelity, you've experienced an extramarital affair, maybe you've been the one to cause it, maybe you've been the one to receive, be the recipient of it. But my heart and my prayer is, as with every service, is that the Holy Spirit would make this personal to you and that you can find healing that you don't, uh, because here's what our past wants to say and whatever it looks like. Our past wants to constantly condemn us, call us guilty, but when we may meet Jesus, how many of you know everything changes? That if when we meet Jesus, we change. And so a great way to see if you're moving forward and not falling down the slope of sin is, is your life changing? Are you becoming more made into the image of Christ? That is the standard of what we put ourselves up against. And as I said, adultery, the enemy wants to weave adultery into our culture, into our churches, into our marriages to pervert the image of God. 
and to pervert the most sacred of relationships that God gives us. And so I wanna just open up with a, a great scripture. Maybe you've never seen this in Psalms, but it speaks of uh, what marriage is because to understand adultery, we have to understand quickly why God created marriage. Psalms 128.3 says this. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. And it says, your children shall be like olive shoots around your table. Isn't this a beautiful passage of scripture that describes a fruitful vine and how out of the, the, the home and the marriage being nurtured, then your children will be like shoots, olive plants that surround that. That this is really a beautiful picture of what God has designed. As I was reading this, I was reminded of how easily it can be to, to destroy or to damage the vines in our marriage, that marriage is rightfully compared to a vine. And as husbands and as wives, it's our job to protect that vine and to make sure it's flourishing and growing and moving uh, in the direction that God would have it. So the story that came to mind was uh, when we, the church here, had purchased uh, the land to put the new parking lot on and, and to redo the parking lot back in 2006, it was uh, a great blessing for the growth and the expansion of the church. Well, as you can tell, on the far end of the parking lot is uh, about an acre and a half of grass. So someone's got to maintain that and someone's got to take care of that. My parents have overseen the facilities here at the church. So as a sixth, seventh grade student here at Zion Christian Academy, very quickly a weed eater and a, a lawnmower were put into my hands to help take care of the lawn here at GPC. Gratefully, I've learned a lot of lessons through it, and I still, along with the help of Brother Gary, we take care of the grounds here and uh, try to keep everything looking great and beautiful. Get ready, Brother Gary. Mowing season's right upon us. But I can remember that this is where I learned to weed eat and to take care of, of the grounds and I can remember several times I was, uh, as a noob with a weed eater, getting into areas that were not weeds and, and cutting down plants and bushes and shrubs that were not intended to be weed-eated. And if you know Pastor Joyce, he loves her flowers. So you don't touch Pastor Joyce's garden bed, especially at the church. Well, her grandson Garrett was the first to do that. And uh, she nicely showed me, Garrett, those aren't to be weed-eated. Those are to be watered and taken care of. But... What I want you to see out of that story and out of this passage of scripture is what's beautiful about flowers that are rooted and that are planted is you can uh, scuff or cut or whack the top of them, but how many of you know you give it a little time, a little sunshine, a little water, it will begin to grow again. It will begin to grow again. Well, my prayer is that if there's been signs of adultery in your marriages or in your relationships, that you would begin to trust God, that through this message, that a lot of the gunk and muck that wants to cloud it and keep you bound and to keep you at odds with one another, that you would begin to know the heart of God is to water it and to allow it to begin to grow again. Jesus even shares in the New Testament that the outs of a marriage, it, and really what we see what, where divorce comes into play, but is not is you still have the choice to follow through with it is through sexual immorality. So the heart of Jesus isn't for you to, to rush out of a marriage. And what I want you to hear this morning that if you're in the middle of something like this, it's hidden, it's known, I don't know everyone's story and I pray that this makes, Holy Spirit makes this personal. But at the same time, 
The enemy is always lurking on the corner to try to bring an affair, to try to bring adultery into your story and to weave it into your life. So this morning, I pray that you would even begin to put up guards and you would begin to see when the spirit of adultery wants to come knocking in your heart against God or in your heart against your spouse or your relationships, that you would be wise, you would discern it, you would detect it, and you would attack. Anybody want to have some tools this morning to attack when adultery wants to come knocking in your life. Number one, when we're talking about marriage, two quick points we have to understand is that marriage is, is a covenant. The definition of marriage is simply, and our Christian understanding is it's covenant. That marriage is not a business merger of male and female coming together and then signing a civil contract. That is not what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant where God oversees the the wedding of the male and of the female. They're in agreement. They're equally yoked. You know, I'm I'm shocked and it, it hurts my heart as we have couples that will call the church here and say, hey, can we rent out the church to be married? And the first question I ask them, well, do you follow Jesus and are both of your are both of you following Jesus together? And probably five out of ten, half of the time they'll say, that's, that's not the case here. I said, well, we don't want to give you false pretense and marry you if you're not equally yoked in agreement. And if they're still on the phone by that point, then we'll say, well, we want to offer you counseling and guidance. We, wanna, uh, we want you to meet with Bree and I. We want to walk you through this journey and walk you through this story, show you what God's idea of marriage is. And many of the times, couples don't want to put the work in to understand what it is. They just want a rental hall and want to have their marriage. So that experience that I've had, as well as counseling couples that have had infidelity as well, is you begin to see what adultery wants to do. You begin to see the beginning phases of it even before a marriage even takes place. And then you, you see, and many of us, we, we've ex- maybe you've experienced, you know couples that have experienced the pain, the hurt, and the heartache that can come through adultery and through affair. So again, we need to understand that God's design of marriage is a covenant, that you're walking and moving into it with God. We see this established in Malachi 2, verse 14. It says this, it says, yet you say for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and your wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife Look what it says, by covenant. And we see this reiterated in Ephesians 5 where it talks of, uh, Paul talks of what a marriage and the roles of marriage are to be. And that's a a sermon for another time when we get into the, the depth of it. But what I want you to see through this is that we believe that marriage is not going to the courthouse, signing a contract, and then we're married. We believe as, as Christians there's something spiritual with it. There's a power behind it. And it's, it's where the two walk in separately. In the spirit, they walk out as one. So we see that there is power behind when a godly marriage becomes in covenant. Number two is this. As we see the word of God teach that marriage is consummation. In other words, that there is, um, it can be, it's finalized that marriage is, is consummated. Now, we have relationships and we have, um, when we don't understand the context of what sex was given to, to humanity, that sex was given uh, to be a gift. But something that I've always known 
as a young man and what I'm thankful I was taught is that sex has the power to fulfill your life or sex has the power to destroy your life. That if it's not used in the right context, which is what the church and what uh, the word of God teaches is that sex is meant to be in covenant. That that's the standard of what God lays out in scripture. And that he knows this. And again, that's why the commandments were given, not to put you and make your life smaller, to take the fun out or to say, to make you feel like, oh my gosh, there's this massive God overseeing me and I feel pressured under the weight of all these mistakes and, and misusing and whatever. But he wants to say, this is the design of it. And if you want to experience my heart, if you want to experience the blessing of it, then this is the path that you're to take with sex and with marriage. And so as I'm, I'm saying, and, and when you talk about these things, you can cut um, the thickness in the room with a knife because there's, there's so much that goes into it. There's so much of, of maybe you, you see it over here, or maybe you see it over here, that really there's not a, it's not a neutral topic. But at the end of the day, as believers, we want to follow what God's words say. And we need to understand that if you've fallen short of this, sin is missing the mark, that there is grace, there is healing, there is hope, and there is freedom for you this morning and for us this morning. That God gives us redemption and reconciliation and it's sin it's the enemy that wants to keep us condemned and guilty and what we're going to see here in a minute is the church in Corinth that struggled with homosexuality that struggled with sexual immorality and what Paul will say is you used to be this way so the power of God came into that church came into that people and set them free out of their pagan thinking set them free out of their wrong thinking on sexuality. And again, we can almost compare the church of Corinth at that time to our, our culture today, that there is such an absence of a definition of what sexuality is and what marriage is. And again, my heart isn't to point you out, is not to judge you, but to simply say, this is what God's word says. And let's judge our heart, let's judge our words and judge our, our mind this morning and say, Holy Spirit, anything that isn't lining up with your word, I give you access to come and convict me. I give you access to comfort me and to point me down the path because it's the path that is life. It's the path that is blessed. And that's what we want in our lives and for our families and for our children and our children's children. That's why we see in the word of God, it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, that we don't wanna be deceived. We wanna know we wanna be able to discern what the pattern the world is heading down and have to understand that the pattern of the gospel is much different than what the pattern of the world is. We also see, again, that marriage is a portrait of something that is far greater. The reason the enemy wants to get his hands on your marriage and the avenue he does it is through adultery is because he wants to destroy the image of God on your marriage. That your marriage reflects the, the eternal marriage that you and I are going to have in Revelation 19, where we go to be with Christ. And uh, um, we, his church, are his bride, and he is our groom. And scripture says that he's coming for a pure and for a spotless bride. And while we're here on earth, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to make us into that pure and that spotless bride. And he's so good because he loves us that much to prepare us 
for the, our wedding day. Because all of you know that it takes preparation for the wedding day, but more importantly, it takes preparation for the marriage. That there is, is conversation and talking and making sure you're, you, you're hitting on all the same points and firing on the same cylinders. And if you're not, you're, you understand that. And so we see that even in the preparation of the bride, that there's here on earth where you're preparing for our wedding day with Christ, which is the wedding supper of the Lamb. You can go and read that in Revelation 19. But I want us to look at the Corinthian church this morning, and I want us just to see what Paul has to say with these struggles and, and, and the fruit that they were bearing and what they were dealing with and what Paul was bringing out. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 says this. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so we see even Paul drawing some lines here that in a culture, in a world today that has, even in the church, that pushes that there's not a hell, there's not a damnation, that there is a line where there's the righteous and the unrighteous. Not everyone is going to go to heaven. And as a pastor, that's hard to even say because your heart is for everyone to be brought in. Your heart, and that's why we as the church have to evangelize. We have to go and get them and tell them the truth and tell them that you can be cleansed, you can be made new, you can be set free. But this is just some sobering truth here. He says, do not be deceived. So he's saying that there's this deception that looms around this sexuality here. It says, neither fornicators nor idolaters Here's where we see adultery brought into the picture. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. It says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, rivalers, nor extortioners. It says, will inherit the kingdom of God. So when you read that, you look at the condition of our world, the condition of our culture. You see many of the things even that God says will not inherit we see our culture throw parades for and celebrate so freely. And when you see God's word, it's not that we're quick to judge and point fingers, but our hearts should begin to break and we should begin to pray and ask God, what can we do to help bring a change? And what can we do to bring the love of God to people that are not seeing it? But here's where we see the hope. Verse 11 says this. And so Paul talking in this church, he says, and such were some of you. So he's saying, this used to be your story. But look what happened. It says, but you were washed. Anybody been washed in the house? But you were sanctified. This is our, our, our story here on earth. This is us working our salvation out. We're being sanctified. We're being washed daily. We're being justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. That should get you excited, that that's all of our story. When we've been redeemed and reconciled, this is what has taken place in our lives. And so we see that, I love what Paul said, he said, as such were some of you. So this used to be your story. You know, I wanna submit to you this morning that a good, uh, a good judgment of am I being made into the likeness of Christ? Is my salvation walking out? Am I seeing fruit of it? is when you meet Jesus, everything in your life changes. It has to. When you meet the real Jesus, everything in your life changes. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, everything in your life changes. And so when you meet Jesus, 
the ways of the flesh, and we're going to see in Romans 8 what it says about a carnal mind, you begin to stop thinking carnally or in your flesh, and you begin to start thinking and living and moving and breathing in the Spirit of God, that that's what begins to be transformed. So when you meet Jesus, your life changes and it changes from glory. You go from glory to glory to glory that you just don't stay the same. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. There's no lukewarm. There's no in-between. And this is the, I'm preaching to myself. This is the challenge for all of us that the, when the Spirit of God is moving and operating in your life and you're in relationship with Jesus, your life is changing. People might not see it. You might not even see it. But there's this knowing in you that, man, I used to think a certain way, but my thinking is changing. I used to walk a certain way. I used to hang out with a certain group of people, but that doesn't exist anymore. I'm changing. I used to speak a certain way, but my words have changed. I used to, to, to kill people in my mind and in my heart and judge them and be bitter and be offended, but that's changing. And so that's why it says, as such were some of you. And so I pray that as we sit in church every Sunday, that we change, yeah. that we just don't come here and get a great cup of coffee, which the coffee's good, yeah. but that we have to understand that the gospel is all about transformation. It's all about transformation. If we're not being transformed, we got to check our relationship with Jesus. That's just the hard truth. One thing we need to know about adultery and just sin in general as well. I wrote this down, all sin is equally damning, but not equally devastating. So in God's eyes, all sin is equal, but the results of it, the devastation, you jaywalk, there's a different consequence than uh, you decide to become a terrorist and blow something up, right? That there's a different consequence to the sin. And so adultery, if you put it on the scale, you'll see that the devastation that can come from it that adultery affects the marriage greatly, and then if divorce takes place, divorce greatly affects children. And so you see that God is saying, don't allow yourself to fall into this place of adultery. Don't allow yourself to, to be prone and to be taken away. Don't, don't believe the lie of the thrill. Because if you look at the studies and the stats that extramarital affairs, adultery always has a thrill to it to captivate you and to pull you in. And so when Paul's saying, don't be deceived, don't be deceived by the thrill, don't be deceived by the emotion, but understand that the enemy wants to work through it. You might have heard of it in the early 2000s, a, a, a website was released called ashleymadison.com. The purpose of ashleymadison.com, which now has close to 50 million users between the time it's been set up and established, and they coined and patented the phrase, it said, life is short, have an affair. They own those rights, no one else can use it, they bought it. And what the purpose of ashleymadison.com is, and y'all better not go look it up, <laughs> but what the purpose of it is, is it's designed and set up for those in relationships and those in marriages who wanna have a hidden extramarital affair. So you have you build an account and a user profile and you can pay an extra $20 if you want it deleted. And it's all these things I was looking up about it. But how our culture has designed and set up a way that, that, that really shares about the state of marriage where if you have to go and, and create this and have this extramarital life and this extramarital affair, then we're missing it somewhere. Our culture is not understanding what marriage is. 
if we have to go and have these thrills. Statistics will also say that four out of 10 people outside of the church will say they see nothing wrong with adultery, that life is short, have an affair, try it. And we see the, the, the level of statistics. You can go and look of, of cohabiting before you're married, you're living together. You see um, all the different ways that relationships are now expressed that are outside of marriage. And again, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not judging. I pray you please feel my heart, but that we would judge ourselves to God's word and see what it says and challenge our thinking on these things. And so we see, again, the state of marriage is hurt. We see marriages that are torn apart by these things, these hidden things that have then become uncovered. And so I want us to look at what Jesus has to say about this subject. Anybody think Jesus has some good things to say? And we want to see what his heart on this subject is. Now, the thing is, Jesus, he takes the commandments. And when we think of Jesus, we see, I have this picture in my office where Jesus is dancing with children, and it's awesome. I love that, that personality of Jesus. But many times, Jesus also uh, can share some truth. And really, when he takes the commandments and the Beatitudes, he brings a level of, of it being kind of difficult to get and to understand. That, okay, the, the Ten Commandments through Moses said, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's talking about the hand. So what you do with your hands. Well, Jesus then takes it over here and amplifies it. And he says, now it, it, it's what you look at. It's what's in your heart. It's what your, your fantasies are. It's what you're imagining. And so look what Jesus has to say in verse 27. He says, you have heard it said to those of old. So talking about the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we see Jesus bring out lust and moving in lust. And so here's where he says, it says that there is this, your soul could be in jeopardy if you're in unrepentive adultery in your heart. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And it says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you than one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So it's like Jesus stopped saying cast into hell. Stop. So we see, again, the seriousness and the weight of what Jesus is communicating this issue of lust with. Now, what's lust? Lust can be, uh, we see pornography in, in our culture's acceptance of that. We see flirtiness. You even look at, uh, in the 21st century, phrases coined by Webster's Dictionary, where now if you go and you look up, there's definitions of what a work spouse is and how an affair will begin to take place at work. And it will, if you go and you look at it, it says that, um, when you go to work, you're dressed up, you're with, you're in work from eight to 12 hours, you're full energy, you're ready to go, you're producing, you're, you're being fulfilled in your work. And, and then when you go home, what happens? You crash, you throw your PJs on, there's not a lot of energy exerted. So you see that there's this term coined that there's work spouses, work relationships that might start off innocent, that might start off friendly, but then they move and progress into something that God never intended it. So what I want to say out of that is 
when you look at the relationships in your life, from your work to your family, statistics will even say that affairs, the, the level of affairs that take place between brother-in-laws, between sister-in-laws are very high. And so when you see the stats, it makes you take a step back and say, Jesus, don't allow there to be adultery in my heart. Don't allow there to be lust in my heart, but cleanse me and set me free. And so we see Jesus begin to deal with the heart issue and we see him deal with something that if we're moving in the flesh, lust usually guides us. But when we're moving in the spirit, we're guided by love and we're guided with what we see Jesus teach on what love is. And so Paul talks about this, the mindset, because what starts in your heart then goes to your mind and then goes to your hands. Romans 8, 6 through 8 says this, on the mindset, it says, for to be carnally minded is death. And when we listen to our flesh, it leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is life. Anybody thankful for life? That when we're led by the Spirit, it leads us into life. And not only that, it says in peace. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity, or in other translations, it's hostile against God. For it is not subject to the law. So here's where we see the commandments brought into play of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh, says, cannot please God. At the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus looks at a group. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. And he looks at another group and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. When he says to the group, depart from me, I never knew you. What he says after that, he says, you workers of lawlessness or you workers of iniquity. So the commandments, the law of God, the gifts that he has given us in the Beatitudes were not guiding you, that that's the standard of what Jesus judges us on. And so if we wanna please God, it's getting his heart. It's understanding that he's given us this, this life full of grace and full of redemption and reconciliation, that grace time and time again to rescue us and to save us and to set us free most most, most, mostly from ourselves, that we're usually our own worst enemy and self-destructive when we listen to our flesh. And so quickly, I, I wanna go through several points and I wanna get very pastoral, I wanna get very practical, that these are things I practice in my life to not allow the spirit of adultery to even come close to my door and to my family and to my marriage. And so I pray that these would encourage you and I would share this with you. I would talk about these things with you, but I just want to get practical because we need to be able to discern when the spirit of adultery wants to come. We need to know how to act against it because just as bitterness wants to try to take you over, unforgiveness, offense, the enemy wants to use adultery to rob and to steal and to kill your life. Number one is this, is don't practice cheating. And really this, this point goes into your single years is what your single life is. If it's not lining up, Jesus has, and the word of God guides us in our singleness that really can be boiled down to worshiping and to waiting, that we worship and we wait in our single years. And so we don't want to practice cheating before we even get married. Statistics will show that if you look at how a relationship starts, it can pretty much share minus the grace of God, not in the equation of how a relationship can end. And so how you live in your single years, in your single life, minus the grace of God, 
can determine, but we are thankful that we know God and we know the grace of God and he can break off generational things. He can break off bad habits because it's not about how you start the scripture talks about, it's how you finish. So how you start your story isn't have to be how you end your story. And so whatever how you started that didn't line up with the word of God, get with your, um, your husband or with your wife and just say, God, we've, I repent of those things. I forgive me of that season of my life. I wanna honor you in my marriage and in my relationship and in my sexuality. The scripture of old, if you've heard it said like this, would say this, it's chastity. Come on, you haven't heard that word in a while. Chastity before marriage and fidelity after marriage. That we're called to be, to, to walk in chastity in our singleness. And not only before you're married, but if you're single, you're to be chaste. And then in your marriage, because when you look at the first marriage of Adam and Eve, the enemy didn't show up until they were married, until they were together. So if you want a big, if you want to be a target for the enemy, get married and watch the attacks he wants to try to bring against you and the arrows he wants to try to shoot, shoot at you. So understand in your marriage, you have a target on you that the enemy wants to get in and destroy because it's in the image of God. Number two is this, don't let your eyes recruit your hands. Don't let your eyes recruit your hands. Job 31.1 says this. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman lustfully. There's power in purity. There's power in covenant. There's power of getting real before God and saying, God, put your heart in me, put your eyes in me that I wouldn't look upon my brothers, my sisters, those in the faith, those relationships in my life lustfully. And that leads into our third point, see people as family. And this is a gift he really gives the church. This is a great gift he gives the church that we see each other as brothers and sisters, right? That's why sometimes you hear someone say, well, brother, how you doing? Or sister, how you doing, right? Or more than that, that the way you posture in your relationship with those in the church as though they're a brother or as though that they're a sister, that there is not a sexual attraction with that person or a sexual attraction with those in the church. And again, you can read that in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. You even see Jesus have successful relationships with women. He had a, a successful relationship with Mary and Martha who were like sisters to Jesus and how he interacted with them. And so... I would challenge you that if you feel an inappropriate sexual relationship in your life, that that would be the first place you allow the Holy Spirit that is not your spouse or if you're single, it shouldn't be anybody until your spouse with what the word of God teaches, that you would allow that spirit to see people as family and remove lustful attraction out of your life, that we would love people the way Jesus teaches us to love. You guys doing okay? We good? Okay, number four is this, is to have a passionate want to and a plan for how to. So we have to have a passionate want to to walk in this and to have a plan for, okay, now what does the word of God say? How is this practically going to look in my life? Wrote this down, sexual purity requires both a passionate want to and a plan for how to. The want to precedes the how to. If you don't want to be sexually pure, no plan is going to work. If you want to be sexually pure, that's a good start, but then you need a plan for how to maintain sexually, sexual purity. 
And so we see, and just practically speaking as well, it's good to know your strengths and it's good to know your weaknesses. And whatever your weaknesses are, put boundaries around that to keep you in a place of grace where you don't step, like if, if you know your weakness, don't put yourself in a situation where that weakness is gonna be triggered while you're trusting God in that season to be healed and to be made in his image in that. And so as I, as I submitted to you before as well, I've gotten this revelation that sin necessarily is not a line, but it's a slope. And many times we wanna, we wanna find out, okay, where is the line? And between the line and where I'm here, I'm good. I'm, I'm not stepping into sin. But I would submit to you, and what I've seen in my life, and what I've seen through story and in the word of God, is that sin is more like a slope. But here's the good thing. If, if you're in sin, you're, you're walking this way, all you have to do is turn around and begin to walk up the other way and allow God to heal you and allow his, his transformation to begin to take place on your life in this area of your life. So sin isn't just a line, but it is a slope. It will trick you and make you think that if I step over the line, but then you look back, you're like, man, I have, because an affair doesn't happen all at once. You, you look around the, the psychology of an affair, there's emotional affairs, there's all of these labels of you can be, have an emotional affair with somebody and not even realize it, that you're emotionally connected with this person where that place of emotion is only meant to be with your spouse. And so when you look back, it's not that it happened all at once, but you have been on this slope of walking toward it. And so, but again, the grace and the hope for us is all we have to do is turn around, right? That's the good news we have. Number five is this, and I love this one, and Bree and I try to do this regularly. It says, define your life forward, then live it backwards. Bible says, without vision, people perish. Get a vision for your marriage. Get God's vision for your marriage. Find out what is important to you and begin to move toward it, and then go back and then live it forward that way. I wrote this down. As you're defining your life forward, then living it backwards, Allow all the decisions you make along the way, allow them to be decisions that help lead to that end. When you get short-sighted, and again, the commands were given, when Jesus says a New Testament commandment, do this in remembrance of me, it was given because he knows how forgetful is, is God's people we can be, that we can forget his commandments, we can forget God in the midst of life. So I wrote this down, when we get short-sighted, we can damage our future because we make short-sighted decisions, not long-term decisions. So define your life forward, then live it backwards. And Bree, if you come, last but not least, is nurture your deepest desire. Nurturing, just as we go back to the vine, you have to nurture what God has given you. Men, in Ephesians 5, it says, we're to wash our wives in the water of the word. There is a nurturing that is to take place in our homes and in our marriages, just as you're being nurtured prayerfully by the word of God, that you would nurture. If when I close my eyes and I think about our marriage, as I shared before, I wanna be able to grow old with Bree. I wanna be able to, to say we pastored God's church faithfully that he has entrusted us with, that I loved her, that we followed the Ephesians 5 vision of marriage, that we honored each other, we honored our family and those relationships in our lives, we invested deeply into one another. And so if those are just some quick points of our marriage, then I wanna nurture that desire. And so what you see God's vision for marriage, if you have the heart to say, I wanna nurture that, he'll put 
the right church in your life. He'll put the right relationships in your life. You get in the word of God and you begin to become who God designed you and created you to be. And then without you even realize it, your pattern, your routine in your life, you're nurturing your marriage, you're nurturing your children and you're seeing this healthy rhythm begin to take place in your life. Actually, one more point. And this is a tough one. But it's to come clean before you get caught. How many of you know that even in our walk with God, it's better just to come clean with the sin of our interior life than before the judgment or when we die and we go to heaven and we, or we die and we sit at the judgment seat that we'd rather judge ourselves now than be judged by God then. When Jesus talks about adultery in the heart, there's things that is hidden within you that you might not even know. But when you begin to pray and ask the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I want to repent of anything in my emotion, anything in my heart, anything in my mind that has caused me to move in lust or to cause me to move in inappropriate relationships or anything in my past. And as you're doing that again, your past will always want to condemn you and yell, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. But when we meet Jesus and his grace, it says, I've changed you. Now keep changing, keep going, keep going, keep going. That's the heart of God for you. But to come clean, I would encourage you, as Bree and I do, usually on Sundays, we'll sit down and we'll just connect with each other and say, how are you doing? How are things going in our marriage? And we'll begin to reflect and we'll begin to talk and we'll share hard truths with each other. We get with our accountability and we say, hey, on an outside perspective, what do you see in our lives that we could work on? How can we, how can we become better? How can we do marriage better? How can we honor God better? And so having accountability in your marriage and in your relationships is of great gain to you as well. And I want to leave you with a story, a well-known story. We know it is the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. We know the story where a woman who was brought out by the Pharisees, who was uh, caught in the act, like the scripture says, was drug out in the street, was lying there naked. The Pharisees had the rocks ready to stone her because the payment for adultery in the Old Testament was death. That's why you don't hear a lot about divorce in the Old Testament because there really wasn't a second marriage because if there was adultery, it was death. So thank God for a new covenant. But we see that the woman was brought out and caught in the act. And here's the, beauty, here's the beauty of it and here's the grace. We see the scripture say that as Jesus looked at them and he said, you without sin cast the first stone. And the scripture beautifully says that from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop their stones. And it says, as the Pharisee, as the accusers walked away, that Jesus looked down and he said, woman, where are your accusers? She looked around, they had left. And it says that before that, he also says that he drew a line in the sand. And we don't know what line Jesus was drawing, but scripture will tell us that he began to write their sins in the dirt and the sins that they had committed. And so we see this powerful moment and Jesus ends the story with her. He doesn't judge her, he doesn't condemn her. He says, now go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That that's the hope we have that when Jesus rescues us, he empowers us with his grace, he fills us with the Holy Spirit, then our empowerment is to go and sin 
no more. That he can put a stability and a staying power where you're not falling into the rut that you were in in your sin, but you can create a new path and begin to move forward. Anybody thankful when you look back at your life, maybe uh, whatever your life was marked with, that that sin does not define you anymore, that you've conquered that through the power of God. Maybe it was in your youth. Whatever that looks like, there's power when you come clean before God. So right where you're at, I just want you to bow your head. I want us just to go before God. And I want, to, I want you to ask him, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me personally through this message? Where's areas in my heart that is maybe lust-driven? Maybe my emotions are invested in wrong places. Maybe the relationships I'm investing in Maybe you, you, that's not your will or your plan for my life. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to check our hearts right now. We thank you for grace. We thank you for empowerment. God, that maybe there's sons and daughters in here. There's, there's families in here who are rewriting their story. Maybe their parents Maybe they were a result of divorce or maybe they saw uh, their, their parents' marriage destroyed by adultery. And God, through your grace, they're changing their family line. God, I pray that you would just bring healing, that you would bring empowerment. Father, we thank you that you give us strategy. You give us understanding and wisdom to walk this out. Give us your vision for marriage and that adultery would not come near the families in this house. God, that we would not be deceived, we would use discernment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I pray.